Hello, I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop, and this is the Meet Cute Book Pod. Today we have my chat with author Sarah Adler, whose debut romance, Mrs. Nash's Ashes, comes out May 23rd. Sarah talks about the process of getting her novel from manuscript on her laptop to book on store shelves, finding a community of writers, her favorite tropes to read and write, what's up next for her, and of course, some books she's loved recently. Before we transition to that conversation, a little about Sarah. Sarah Adler grew up in rural south-central Pennsylvania, the land of Civil War reenactors and snack food factories. She received both her BA in History and American Studies and MA in History from American University in Washington, D.C., where she focused on 19th and early 20th century U.S. culture. She currently lives in the far suburbs with her husband and daughter. When she isn't writing or yelling at Noodle, her very mischievous cat, to stop doing that right now or I swear to God, Sarah enjoys crocheting, going for walks, exploring used bookstores, reading, and eating baked goods. And now, through the magic of podcasting, here's my conversation with Sarah Adler. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. To get started, I just want to know a little bit about like your romance reading background. Did you come to romance young? Did you come to it more recently? I think looking back, I can kind of see that I was interested in romance when I was younger. Like that was always sort of the part of a story I connected to most, but I didn't really know that I wanted to read romance specifically um, until I guess I was in my mid twenties. I had just had my daughter. Um, I was reading on my phone. Like that was like the thing I did while she was like asleep in my arms or, or nursing or whatever. And I was reading a lot more fiction than I had in years. And I kind of stumbled upon romance that way. Um, just looking for my next read from my local library. And, um, I think my first like real genre of romance would have been Kelly Siskin's New Orleans Rush. And it's such a fun kind of bonkers story. And there's sex on the page. And I was like, what? Like, this is an option for me. I can be reading this instead of all of these serious sad things. Why have I not been doing this my whole life? Um, And so from there, it was kind of like, okay, I am really invested in this and just started reading as much as I could get my hands on. Do you read a lot of, you have a degree in history, do you read a lot of historicals or is it like, oh, it's like too close to the bone, like it's not accurate and it's driving you crazy? So I do read a lot of historicals. It's actually kind of my escapism reading uh, choice because it's twofold. Like one is my main area of study was always 19th century America, which there are definitely historicals set there, but for the most part, the, the period I was really into is not usually the setting. So I'm not like nitpicking details very much. Um, the other part is like historicals, for them to make sense, for them to be fun, have to be part fantasy. Like you have to ignore a lot of horrible things about the past to make it something that people want to read. Um, and so it's easy for me to kind of suspend my disbelief there and just kind of enjoy it. So it took me a while to get into historicals. I was like nervous that I wouldn't be able to enjoy it, but I really, really do. It's like, it's like candy for my brain. Yeah. You mean all of the Dukes weren't young, hot and really ethical and like cared a lot about the class system? 
Yeah. And I mean, anytime you said anything in that period, clearly slavery is a problem throughout the world. People are profiting off of other people's, you know, enslavement, and that's bad. Um, And so, like, if there was a historical romance written that was extremely true to reality, I think it would be really hard to actually enjoy it. But if you kind of accept that, okay, this is another form of fantasy, uh, it becomes a lot of fun. So you, as established, have a degree in history. Did you always have also like a side interest in writing fiction? So as a kid, I wrote fiction like all the time. Like I don't remember not writing little stories, like pretty much from the moment I learned to write, I was like making little books at home and illustrating them and uh, giving them to my family as presents and having fun with that. And then in elementary school, I got really into it because we had like a little publishing center at our school that we got to use like once a year um, where we would take our little manuscript and they would, it was like a bunch of parent volunteers would bind, like type it up and bind it for us into a little book. And they got wallpaper samples from a local wallpaper factory to be like the covers. And um, they had like different color end papers you could choose. And it was really exciting because it was like making your own book. And every year, that was like my favorite thing. And so I was like, oh, this is great. I want to be an author. Um, And then like over time, that just kind of died because it was like, I was becoming older, more practical, more serious, more academic. And I was like, oh, that's unrealistic, maybe. Like, I've never even finished, like, a whole novel, read, like, writing a whole novel. I never will because, like, I felt like I needed to know everything ahead of time. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to, like, actually follow through. So I had a lot of, like, half-started stories that never went anywhere. Um, And then by college, I just kind of wasn't doing any creative writing. I was doing a lot of academic, historical sort of stuff. Um, Same through grad school. It wasn't until I started reading romance um, that kind of that urge to write again started whispering to me. And again, I was like, I can't do this because I don't know everything about it. Like, I, I can't start until I know everything. And my friend was like, why don't you just like start writing and see what happens instead? And I was like, huh, I guess I could try that. And I did. And I was like, oh, this is also a way I can do this. Everybody needs that friend. That's just like, or just do the thing. Maybe just, you know, just try it. Yeah. She also like, doesn't remember telling me that. So I have this like whole career now that she does not remember like setting me on this journey, which I find very funny. I would be like, I for sure told you that because I'm a genius. Obviously you're welcome. Yeah, she's like, I said that? Oh, okay. So you you did write a manuscript at some point. When was this? This was like... So that was in 2019. I had become a stay-at-home mom. I had like left my full-time job and had just finished my master's degree a month before my daughter was born. And so I was like really, really going through it, like trying to figure out who I was now that I was a mom and not working and not in school and like... I was like, well, what is there beyond being a mom for me right now? And I really needed something that could be just for me, like something that involved my brain and like getting out of the house, preferably. And so I started writing as a kind of way to like refine myself. And um, so 2019, uh, that summer, 
I wrote my first manuscript. It was really bad. Um, but through that, I learned kind of the entire process of getting published. Um, I did a lot of research of, you know, what do you need to do to get an agent? And then how does that eventually turn into a real book? And um, so I, even though the story itself was like clearly written by someone who didn't know what they were doing, it was a really good learning opportunity, not just writing and craft, but like how the whole process was going to work. And then you wrote a different manuscript? Yeah. And then I wrote a second one, which was like a little bit better. I was still kind of struggling to find the right mix of things. Um, I was closer to where I wanted to be. The first one was kind of a more serious women's fiction sort of vibe. The second one was definitely more romantic comedy and it was first person present, voicier, but it didn't really have much of a plot, which is like a thing you kind of need usually. So, um, so which many agents like very gently told me in their rejections of my full manuscript. Um, but that one did get like some requests from agents to read more and, a lot of them were like, this is very funny, but, you know, there's no plot. So um, so that was uh, 2020. I wrote that one during lockdown, pretty much, in my one-bedroom apartment uh, with my, you know, almost two-year-old and husband. And um, so by the time that one kind of got rejected a bunch of times, I had racked up, like, 200 rejections, I think, total between the two manuscripts. And I had learned so much from those rejections that I was determined. I was like, this third one's going to be it. Like, I'm going to do all the things right this time. My husband calls it my revenge book, but it wasn't like I had any animosity or anything. It was like, more just like, I'm going to prove that I can do this now. Um, and so like, I had thought about all the notes I'd been given over those years and it's like okay you want a voice here's a voice like this book this book has a voice you want a plot i will make sure it has a plot um like the pacing i will make sure there's pacing <laughs> like i was just like i'm gonna throw everything i know now into this one book and i guess it worked that's mrs nash's ashes it's a book now i mean it's a you know like a physical you can in stores you all yeah i mean Good. it's it's something i can hold in my hands and have like 40 copies of in my office. So you have this third manuscript and you, now you need to get an agent. That's like the next thing that happens in publishing. How do you do that? So you have to write a query letter, which is basically like a little pitch. It says, you know, dear agent, I'm excited to share with you this book that I've written. Usually you go into detail about the genre, the word count, not a lot of like adverbs or or adjectives used you're not like it's the best book ever but like you're very quietly confident about it and then you do like a couple paragraphs where you do almost like the back cop cover copy of a book like you tell the story of what it, this book is about in a way that will make them want to read it and then you are like thanks for your consideration uh you know well i guess you also need comps so you need other books uh, or authors that you think your book would like fit next to really well on a shelf. And so then you send that off along with however many sample page. Different agencies want different amounts of pages usually. None of this is uniform. So you send that off and then sometimes very quickly you get a rejection. 
uh, sometimes like a year later, you get a rejection. Sometimes you get a quick like, oh, I'd love to see more. Send me 50 pages. Um, sometimes you you get, I'd like to read the whole thing. And you send the full thing. And then it's anywhere from a week to six months sometimes to hear back on that. Um, it's a very, it can be a very long process. And sometimes you get good and bad news in the same day, within the same hour. It's a huge emotional roller coaster. That sounds like an experience. Do they always ask, do you send like the first 10 pages or do you just pick like your favorite 10 pages? You're supposed to send the from the beginning. So um, basically they say if you have, if your first pages aren't going to capture the interest of the agent, then those probably shouldn't be your first pages, which is like probably good advice. Yeah, I know that makes sense because assuming they take your book and then eventually gets published, your first 10 pages also have to capture the attention of like a reader. So you have sent out infinite query letters um, <laughs> in a delightful process that sounds like a true joy. And then an agent is finally like, I want it. Yeah. So for me, the way that looked was each time I had a book I was querying, I was more selective with who I was sending it to because the upside of getting a lot of rejections across different manuscripts is that you kind of start to build like a little bit of a relationship with the agents. They like start to kind of remember you and what you've shown them. And um, so by the time I sent the third one, like some of them were like, oh yeah, I remember you. Like I read, I read that last one. It was pretty good. Like I'm happy to look at this one too. And so each time the number of agents I queried got smaller and smaller. Um, so until this last one, I think I only sent it to something like 25 total. But part of that was also because I actually got my first offer within a week of starting to query. And so that was like very, very fast in querying world. And um, so I got my first offer and then that was super exciting. And um then the thing you're supposed to do is alert the other agents that have outstanding queries that you have an offer. And so I did that. And then I got five more offers once they had time to read. And I was able to pick from these like six very wonderful agents, which is a dream come true. And so then I went with Taylor Haggerty at Root. And um, I have been very, very happy and lucky to work with her. And so then what does that look like once your agent is on board? Do you do a round of edits with them or they're just like off going to send it to publishers? So we did a brief round of revisions, just kind of cleaning up, tightening up a few parts. My agent is not super editorial because she knows that editors are going to want to make the book their own. So like there's no point in doing a ton of work on something that's already working okay as is for then an editor to come in and undo it maybe. So we did a brief round and went on submission pretty quickly to editors and she sent it out. And then within a week, we again had an offer. A week seems to be like the magic period of time for me with this book. And um, she contacted the other editors to let them know. And they were like, hold up, hold up. We want to read this too. And so we set an auction date and we had an auction um, and sold the book at auction. So that was really cool too. And again, a whirlwind, totally surreal, just like going from rejection after rejection for two years to like, oh, my book is selling and I get to like choose who is publishing it. That's very, a very 
fortunate and unusual position to be in as a debut. So I've seen, you know, in the little like um, publication announcements, that's not the technical term for them, um, where people are like, it's sold at auction. But like, what does that actually mean? Like logistically, I'm imagining like a Zoom with like someone with a gavel and everyone's like holding up cards. That feels wrong. Um, I really kind of wish it happened that way because it does sound very fun. But no, it's much more um, just like setting a deadline for offers. And then there's like different ways to structure it. And agents kind of have a feel for the best way to go about it. There's like best bids where they just come in with their best bid and you know, that's supposed to be the end of that. I think that's what we did. But then two of the offers were like identical, which is really unusual. So uh, we went to a second round. Uh, between the first and second round, we we lost a few editors just because they were like, well, we can't, we can't compete at this point. Um, and uh, also at that point, um, because two were from the same publisher, we had two imprints within the same publisher, like one of those dropped out saying like, oh, you know, we're going to step aside now. And so it went to a second round. And then basically the same thing happened again. They were given a deadline and came back with their best offer again. And I got to make a decision, a very, very hard decision. That's really cool, though. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that was that was back in fall 2021, I guess. And it's still I'm still like feeling very invigorated and terrified by that whole experience. It was so much fun. And also just like my imposter syndrome hit it very hard <laughs> at the same time. Okay. So you have now been in the very fortunate position of having the opportunity to sort of pick your editor from among a selection of cool people. What happens then? They they buy your book and and what? So my editor's name is Sarir and she works at Berkeley. Um, she took my book and she reread it again with more of an eye for like actual revisions. And um, we basically went back and forth. I think with that book, it might've been four times, which, which is kind of um, a lot of times, but um, she's very meticulous and really pushed me to make the book as best, the best version of itself it could be. Um, and so there were a lot of things I didn't, I was working on through each revision round, but didn't fully crack until that last one. So I'm really glad that we wound up doing that. Yeah, she will do comments and I will try my best to address the comments and fix things up. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like big picture stuff and then it's little picture stuff and then big picture again and then little picture again. You know, it just kind of depends what the book needs. Um, and then once it's all good, it is officially accepted and it goes off to copy edits, which is with a copy editor um, who knows a lot about grammar and how to use Google really well. And so this book, you said the auction was like the fall of 2021. It's now spring, late spring. I don't know. What is the season? It's May 2023. Publishing timelines are so slow. Um, but once you've sort of finished the major edits, it's off to copy edit. Are you working on something else now? Yeah. So basically, as soon as I was finished, or even in between rounds of revisions, I was starting to work on book two, because I was like, all right, I'm a slow drafter. So I'm going to need this time. And I also need something to keep myself busy. And so I was I think I officially started after getting the go ahead from Berkeley, I started drafting book two in February of 2022. So 
I was really switching back and forth between projects for a while. Um, and now that book, I just got sent my hopefully final round of revisions for. So um, it's really weird because of the long timelines in publishing. Um, at any given time, I could be working on three different projects at three very different stages. And so just kind of shifting between those um, on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes, or even an hourly basis, is kind of a thing that's taken me a while to get used to. And you said when you got the go-ahead from Berkeley on book two, is that because they had purchased it as part of the deal with the first book? Yeah. So I had a two-book contract. And so um, it was sort of agreed agreed upon that I would submit a proposal sort of thing, uh, which wound up just being like a blurb and a really silly like joke title. And they were like, sounds great. Have fun. <laughs> and I was kind of shocked that they were into it, to be honest. Um, but it's it's turned into like a really fun book. And I, I, I think if it wasn't part of my contract, um, we would have had to sell another book. And that's what we're working on now, my agent and I, just getting the third book uh, proposal finalized. So like that's a whole different, much more complex process. So as you're working on three projects at once, this first book, Mrs. Nash's Ashes, is still sort of going through the pre-publication process, which means you need blurbs, you need cover art all the like fun accoutrement of books. How does that work? Do you have any involvement in that? Is it mostly like Berkeley's dealing with that? You don't have to do it. So for the blurbs, my editor, my agent and I sort of worked together. We had like a big Google spreadsheet and like put down all the people that we hoped to reach out to and who kind of had the best connection to them or their agent or their editor. Um, and then sort of split it up into who we were going to ask. So that was like a process I was somewhat involved in, um, especially the people I'm friends with. I reached out to myself, but also like anytime a blurb would come in, my agent or editor would send like a nice email telling me about it, which was really lovely. Um, and then it would go in the spreadsheet. And so, yeah, I was like somewhat involved in that. Um, the cover process is different at every imprint, I believe, based on my friends and their experiences. At Berkeley, I sent in... A document that was like here are some things I like and don't like some ideas I have I like did some really bad like rough sketches of things I was thinking of just to kind of get them to understand like what I was picturing it can kind of go two ways like it can either be super duper easy where like the first pretty much the first idea winds up being what is final and that's kind of what happened with book two where we all looked at one of the preliminary sketches and we're like Yep, that's pretty much perfect. Let's tweak some details. We're good to go. Like, this is great. Or uh, what happened with Mrs. Nash's Ashes, uh, which is they started down one path with the cover and they, it was some really beautiful beachy kind of standard rom-com covers. that They were really gorgeous. But then the problem is you have these gorgeous covers with the word ashes on them. And in-house, they were like, mm, we're not quite sure if this is working. And so we started, um, we had discussed it before, but again, we kind of talked about changing the title. So that was like two weeks of back and forth of like brainstorming and ideas and my editor taking it to higher ups and asking for their opinions. And then eventually they had a meeting and they're like, okay, we like the title actually, we're going to keep it, but we need a different cover. And so then the very talented 
artist, Vicky Chu, went back to the drawing board and she came up with something very, very different. Um, kind of, it was kind of like almost more, almost more like lit Vicky. It was a really cool concept, but like something about it, like wasn't quite hitting me right. I was like, maybe the colors. And I feel so terrible about this because I asked for like, I think we went through like 20 different color iterations and like font changes and things of me trying to like put my finger on what about this cover was like not quite clicking. And I will say if anyone else is going through that, don't do that. Don't do that to the poor people working on it. And don't do that to yourself because by the end of it, I was literally just in tears. I was like this, I can't like figure out why I don't love this. And it wasn't that it was like bad because it was was a really nice cover. And so I was like, just like I had basically upset myself to the point of no return of like, but I talked to my agent. She was like, we really like this. Like, we think it's very cool. Everyone in house likes it. And I was like, okay, I trust you. I will learn to love it once I've like gotten myself back together. And um, then they took it to sales and sales was like, actually, we would like a different cover. And so I didn't know about any of that. I got an email from my editor. I opened it up and she was like, we had a great meeting with sales. Um, they really love the title. They want a different cover though. Here's the new cover. Hope you like it. So the cover that we wound up with is kind of like a compromise between it has like elements of the original beachy ones it has elements of the sort of more illustrated stylized one that everyone liked and it kind of was like everything just put back together in a way that made more sense um and sales was happy everyone else was happy we were all like yay it's done we like it so covers can be like a very emotional process which I was not really ready for and also just like things like that are also really dictated by like everything else going on in your brain and your life and it was just like I was not in the place like my anxiety was horrible and it was like not great but we wound up with a beautiful book Vicky did a really good job and my agent said you know because this was such a process I bet you the second book will be so much easier. And she was right. Ideally, when this is your career, you go through a lot of these things. And like, sometimes it works out perfectly very quickly. And sometimes it's going to be like a process to get to the right place. It seems really hard to me to like have something that is important in the like sale and like determination of who will actually pick the book up be not your wheelhouse. Yeah. And then the other, the other part is like getting used to the idea that your art is also a product. And that, you know, you do want to have something that you feel represents what is inside. Like, it was very important to me that my cover not misrepresent the book in any way. Um, But, like, also sometimes covers are just vibes. Like, it doesn't, every single detail does not have to be precise. And that was something I think at that point I was was having trouble letting go of. And now I'm just like, yep, close enough. That's beautiful. Let's go. Um, I understand the concept now. Um, So yeah, I think that was a very big learning curve for me of just like how to treat my book as both art and product at the same time and let the people who sell these products do their jobs without me interfering. That's the great thing about second books is you kind of have already been through it once and you're like, okay, I know I know how this game works now and you guys do your thing and let me know. <laughs> well, now I'm very excited to see the cover for the second book. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm so excited. So you mentioned when you're talking about blurbs that you have some writer friends. How do you 
how do you find, right? Do you have debut buddies? Like how do people find, is it just Twitter? A lot of it was Twitter, not so much anymore, to be honest. Um, Twitter used to be kind of the place that the writers were. Now we've all kind of migrated to Instagram for the most part. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just like sliding into DMs or people sliding into mine and just being like, I like your work and just kind of badgering them until they were my friend. Um, As far as other debuts, there are like debut groups. There's like the big year ones. There's like sometimes imprint or publisher specific ones. Um, Sometimes it's like other people at your agency that you hook up with. Like um, there's lots of ways to kind of find people in the same boat. But I think a lot of it is done through social media now, just like finding other people in your similar position or who have already been through it. Um, Because like I love my friends who are also debuts. But when it comes to the process, none of us know what's going on. And so like, we're not very helpful to each other except for triggering anxiety. It's like, oh, that happened for you already and it hasn't happened for me yet? Is something wrong here? Like, it's really easy when you're a person who wants to be involved in the details of the process to not have that information. And then like, find out from somebody else at a different publisher even. Like, it might not even be the same process for them. But even within Berkeley, like different editors handle things differently. Different books have different timelines. Like it's just how it works. So like my debut friends, I love. But when it came, when it comes to like, I need information about this process, my friends who have been through it, who are on their second or third book have been invaluable. Um, People that I can kind of send a whiny email to and be like, is this normal? It's been really great to kind of meet authors from different points in their careers and have that in sort of my friendship arsenal of like there are people who are going through the same thing as me and then there are people who have survived it that I can like turn to and then there are people who are way ahead that I can like look up to so yeah it it's pretty easy i think to find your people once you kind of know your debut season your debut year where you're going to be published before that, it's a little harder because, like, you kind of have to find people that are at the same point as you as far as being with the same goals and the same style and finding, like, critique partners is really challenging, which is why I'm very grateful that I have two long-term ones and don't have to be finding new ones. But community is such a big part of writing and something that I wasn't expecting when I started doing it, but has been probably the best part of it for me. So your book comes out very soon. How are you feeling? I'm feeling surprisingly okay. Um, People who like subscribe to my newsletter will know that I actually just lost my therapist. Like she is pursuing a different career. And so my last session with her was like the end of April. And then my debut month, I just like do not have a therapist. And I was very nervous about that. But so far, so good. I feel like I've got a lot of good, healthy coping skills. Um, I've got a really, really good team behind me. My agent, my editor, everyone at Berkeley um, that I work with has been super wonderful and excellent at their jobs and very supportive. And um, I think having early reviews has been really helpful. Like people who have been kind enough to read and review early has kind of given me an expectation where it's not just like, okay, on this date, everyone's opinion will flood in at once. It's more of like, okay, we can kind of tell these are the things people are going to be happy about. These are the things some people might not be a fan of. 
And then I can just like put that to the side and stop worrying about it. Um, so I'm not really worried about uh, reception at all, which has been very freeing. I'm not looking at my reviews anymore, which is very good because um, that's like a quick way to hurt my own feelings. And yeah, I'm just, I'm feeling excited. Like I I was not anticipating being excited. I thought I was going to be terrified, but so far, so far, so good. I mean, we're still, we're still like two weeks out, I think, uh, right now. So that could change. I could be a hot mess very soon. But at this moment, I am doing pretty well. Good. Do you have any like post-release self-care plans scheduled? I don't have anything post-release. The day before I have a massage scheduled because I figure I will need that. I will be very tense. I probably also will need one after, but I'm waiting to see. Um, I have bought myself like this really stupidly expensive cake. (laughs) That's like a custom cake made to uh, match my book cover. Oh my God, Um, no, that's completely worth it. I fully support that choice. It's very small. It's like just for me. I guess my family can have some too. And um, yeah, so I'm like excited about that to like take pretty pictures and then just like bury my face into a cake. Um, So yeah, I I mean, I think it's mostly that I'm just going to like bury my face in a cake and not come out for a few days. Um, That's the way. Yeah. And I mean, some friends and family are coming for my launch event, which is very exciting and seeing them and anyone who's sticking around in town after that and hanging out with them. But like, mostly I think I got to get back to real life. Like I have a f- almost five-year-old. She goes to daycare. So the next morning, just got to take her to school like usual and get back to work. I want to talk a little bit about the book and about the process of writing. Do you want to do a quick like elevator pitch for it? I could try it, but I feel like you probably have one that's better. I do have one. I've practiced it a lot, so I'm happy to do that. Um, So Mrs. Nash's Ashes is the story of a woman on a mission to deliver three tablespoons of her elderly best friend's ashes to the woman she fell in love with during World War II. But uh, planes are grounded, and she's forced instead to road trip to Key West with her ex's grad school rival, and chaos ensues. Things I loved about this book include um, there's a broccoli festival. There's a deer attack. Um, There's a Mexican-Italian fusion restaurant that I actually would really like to know if that's inspired by a real Mexican-Italian fusion restaurant because I would like to eat there. Sadly, it does not exist. Although I know that in um, near my hometown uh, in Pennsylvania, there is a place called Mexicali Cantina or something like that. It's a combination between Mexico and Italy. And um, I don't know if they have fusion cuisine so much as they have Mexican and Italian food. So I'm not quite sure they've like fully realized uh, the possibilities. But um, yeah, that was kind of a, I want this to be an interesting place. I love making up like fake restaurants and stores and things like that. So I can feel that. What could this be? That would be really fun. And um, that's kind of what I came up with. There was also a very bonkers decorated room in a B&B. I, I feel that you enjoyed like all of the quirky roadside places. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, especially because I wrote this book like in the middle of the pandemic, like from, you know, my house or sometimes my car. 
and like mooching off of Wi-Fi and like fast food parking lots just to like be out of the house for a minute. And it was so fun to imagine like being in the world again and like all these silly places that could exist there. And it was a very like healing, fun thing for me to do. What was the hardest scene to write in the book? I don't know if it was the hardest one to write initially, but the hardest one to actually get right was Millie and Hollis on the beach at the end. It took me until that last round of revisions to like crack the code there of like what would make that scene fully work. And that was a place that like my editor really had to push me to keep thinking about sort of the emotional stakes and the dialogue. And um, so I, I think even though I probably drafted it pretty quickly, that was the scene that I spent the most time on overall. And what is your favorite scene in the book? I don't know. It's really hard. I mean, a lot of, I, I really like that first scene. Cause I just, um, this is such like a nerdy writer answer, but like, I really love meeting the characters. Like I liked, I, I mostly write linearly. So like that first scene is the first scene I wrote. And so that was also the moment where I was meeting Millie and her voice. And then I was meeting Hollis and like kind of figuring out what their dynamic was. And so it makes me like happy to think about that first scene because I just, it was like, it felt different while I was writing it than anything I'd written before. Um, And I like to imagine readers reading it for the first time and feeling kind of that, that first connection with the characters. You say you mostly write linearly. I'm curious, this book has, I mean, it's a linear plot, but it has like interspersed sort of historical vignettes um, about the life of the woman whose ashes are being are being brought to Key West. Did you write those in linearly? Did you have that sort of like as a separate document and then you sort of figured out where to break it? So I cannot plot to save my life like even retroactively like if somebody gave me a beat sheet for a book I've already written and said fill this in I would not be able to do it um but the way the way that I kind of make sure that I have a beginning and an ending and a way to get there is I tend to do what I call my loose outline which is basically stream of consciousness descriptions of scenes I know I want to include and dialogue I want to include so it's like nothing formal at all. Sometimes I shift like POV and tense and things within like the same sentence. It's really messy, but it's kind of a way to get my idea on paper. Um, so I did that for this book. Usually I go up to about 50% into the book that way. And in that document, I started writing the fully fleshed out scenes with Rose and Elsie, because then I could kind of see where they fit in in the story before adding them into the like official document. Um, And sometimes like some days I felt like writing those scenes, even though I wasn't to them yet. And so it made sense to kind of have them in one place and then put them in later. I think because it is such a different voice too, it helped me to kind of keep them separately until it made sense to put them together. So there are a lot of delightful tropes in this book. We have, I mean, it's a road trip romance. There is an only one bed situation. What are some of your favorite tropes to read versus like to write? And is there a trope you haven't written yet that you really want to fit in somewhere? I like reading a lot of the ones I like writing. Like I love reading an only one bed. Um, I love, I love a road trip. I love, um, 
I love enemies to lovers, which I've seen a lot of people describe this as enemies to lovers. Um, I wouldn't say they're enemies to start, but um, um, my second book is an enemies to lovers. So I guess I've written that one too. Um, I really, I really like reading like a good marriage in trouble or like relationship in trouble or second chance sort of thing. Um, like Sarah Hogle's You Deserve Each Other is one of my favorite rom-coms of all time. I don't know if I could write that. Like, I don't know if I could pull that off well. So that's one of the ones I think I like reading, but wouldn't necessarily be able to write. And then I really want to write a like friends to lovers, which I'm kind of trying to do right now. So hopefully that works out. I think that like a lot of the things that I want to write are also the things I like to read, which makes sense. I mean, I think there's also a lot of things, especially like in historical romance that doesn't translate super easily to contemporary. And I write contemporary, even though I love reading historical. And so like things like marriage of convenience based on like, you know, someone needing money for repairing their estate or whatever is probably is a lot harder to fit into contemporary or like, oh, no, I've been compromised, like because somebody saw me like too close to this person, like at a party, like it's really hard, at least in like the cultures I'm familiar with to write in contemporary. And so like, I, I feel like there's a lot in histrom that's super fun that I probably will never write just because I don't quite know how I would make it work well. Have you never thought about writing a historical? I've thought about it a little bit and I have a couple ideas that are kind of contemporary and historical, but like much heavier on the historical than Mrs. Natch is. My agent has like told me let's focus on contemporary for a while, which I totally agree with. Um, So it's not impossible that in the future I'll do something more historical, but I think for now it does make sense to kind of stick with what I what I've been doing and it doesn't mean that I haven't found ways to include some like little historical things and fun fun side plots but as far as like a purely historical I'm not sure I'm not sure it would be in my wheelhouse right now before I let you go two final questions what is up next for you after Mrs. Nash's and then if you could recommend a book or two you've loved recently and just like want to shout out. So uh, I can't say too, too much about book two yet, but what I can say is that it's tentatively scheduled for spring of 2024. It is an enemies to lovers romantic comedy featuring a fake spirit medium, a hot farmer and a ghost. Sold. Pre-ordering. I'm really excited to say more. Uh, Hopefully I get to do that pretty soon. And then, um, Books that I've read and loved recently. Last night, I finished uh, Diana Biller's Hotel of Secrets, and it was so much fun. Um, a lot of people whose opinions I trust had said that, um, and I was kind of just waiting for my library hold to come in, and then it did, and I had a great time with it. And now I've like got a special order with my local indie to like own it, because I try to buy books that I really love after reading from the library. A self-pubbed histrom um forever your rogue by aaron langston um one of the best books i've read in a long long time and then i recently read carrie winfrey's upcoming holiday rom-com faking christmas and that was also extremely fun um i'm a big carrie winfrey fan and i'm really excited for people to read that one it's like the perfect festive read 
Those are great, Rex. Thank you so much for making the time to chat. Good luck with your release day. So exciting. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun talking. And there you have it. A huge thank you to Sarah Adler for walking me through the nitty-gritty of how a Word document becomes a book. If this conversation has made you want to pick up a copy of Mrs. Nash's Ashes, you can do that in our shop or on our website, meetcutebookshop.com. And if you've been enjoying this podcast, I would so appreciate if you could take a moment to rate and review it on the podcast listening platform of your choosing. That helps other people find us, and also, you know, I love positive reinforcement. That's all for this episode of the Meet Cute Book Pod. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop in San Diego, California, and I hope you'll tune back in for more deep dives into romance writing, reading, and publishing. Yeah.